kingdom when all wrongs are made right. Good morning, you guys. How are we doing? Good? Good? Um, so today, as we are worshiping, I just want to invite you to think about how you're posturing yourself before God. Um, as we worship, we want to not only sing, but we also want to make sure we're using our whole body as we are worshiping. Um, today is Palm Sunday, and so in the story in Palm Sunday, these people are praising God with their whole bodies. And I just want to invite you guys, as we're worshiping, uh, you can raise your hands. Feel free to raise your hands. Just posture yourself before God. Um, and if you're not comfortable with that, just make sure you're letting tension out of your body. Just let it go uh, and be in God's presence today. Um, and we'll get started.
Welcome, everybody. Whoa, to Common Ground. Good to see you all here. Hope you're having a great day. Um, speaking of good morning, there's good stuff coming down the pipe this week. Uh, first of all, we have a Good Friday service. We're entering into Holy Week, uh, the week where we anticipate Christ coming to die for our sins and then raise from the dead for our hope of new life. So we're going to kick that off Friday evening at 6 o'clock. invite you all to come back here where we will have a special service uh, focusing in on the sacrifice of Christ for our sakes. And then Easter Sunday, 530 in the morning, in the dark, a.m. Yes, we will be meeting at Founders Park to do our yearly hike up M Hill, where we will welcome the sunrise. Play on words there. Uh, welcome the sunrise and also a little time of singing and uh, uh, reading from Scripture uh, and prayer for our city. So we hope you can join us for that. And then uh, at 9 o'clock a.m., we will be having breakfast here in the church. Uh, we will be making pancakes for you, but we encourage you to bring along and share some breakfast items. And we will meet in Dark Hall getting ready for our worship service, which will be at 10 a.m., and that's going to be fun because we're going to have a before and after look during the service there. So uh, come and join us for that. And then uh, beyond Easter, we have our Hallowasa Workday coming up April 23rd. Uh, come here if you want to carpool down to the campground at 8 o'clock a.m., or if you want to just drive yourself down there, meet us at the camp at 9 a.m., and then we have a lot of teams that are kind of behind the scenes here at church. Uh, we have our tech team who gets everything set up, tore down, make sure our slides and computers are running the way they ought to run. But we also have a construction team. And uh, they are here ready to go, a lot of talented people, uh, to help the church family out with projects at home. So if you have any home improvement projects or things that need to be done where you're like, man, I could really use some hands to come and help me out and do this, uh, let us know because these talented people are looking for things to do. All right. So uh, if there's a way we can help you out or uh, somebody close to you, just come and let us know that so that we can get you going on those projects. And if you want any more information on anything that's going on, you can just go to our website, and that's commongroundcma.org, and go to our events and updates tabs, and uh, you can keep abreast of everything that's happening here. Well, now it's time to... Uh, Say good morning to everybody. We usually call this our social awkward, our awkward social interaction time, things like that. I, I was trying to think what would be the most socially awkward thing we could do, and that would be to tell everybody to go say hi to Will in the corner. But I don't want to see the repercussions of that. So uh, tone it back a little bit and just go find some people and go say hi and good morning and welcome one another to a wonderful day in the Lord. Uh, again, welcome to Common Ground Church.
Do you see Hunter's kid? <laughs> Listen, yeah. Looks amazing. I think we wear a lot of plaid. Hunter's son looks like he's gonna start jamming out in a prison. Go crash some police cars.
for being with us. Uh, thank you for being with us wherever we go. Um, we just want to posture ourselves before you um, in invitation of uh, your will. Um, we just ask that you bless this time that we spend in community with one another um, and that you would help us grow in our faith and our hope in you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, today is Palm Sunday, um, and so uh, I'm going to read a little bit of this passage from John, John 12, 13. Uh, in John 12, 13, the people cry out to Jesus in an expression of faith uh, in the living God. They say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Uh, we sing as an expression of our faith that God will do as he has promised and bring us life full and complete. Um, and we believe and have faith for what is now and not yet. Uh, the next song as we sing, Hosanna in the highest, uh, use this time to dwell on expressing your trust and your hope in the promises of God.
Thank you, team. Thank you for leading in worship during that time. It is now that we are going to transition into our prayer time, and we set aside a time during our worship services together here um, in order to be active um, in our worship, um, in order to be authentic um, with one another in community, and in order to just approach um, the presence of God and to be in his presence here. And during this time, um, we've done it a variety of ways in the past. Sometimes, you know, we will take open mic requests for prayer times. Um, sometimes we'll have some focused prayer activities. And then sometimes, um, on the very rare occasion, it's a special occasion, but you'll see, it's sort of bittersweet, um, we get to commission uh, some mission teams that go around to various places, and sometimes we get to commission people um, who are moving out. Um, and so today, we get to hear from Job and JC, um, who have been a part of this church for a few years now and have been a very important, integral part of this church. But they, as Job has just graduated from School of Mines this last year, let's hear it for him. Good job. Well done. <laughs> um, they will be moving um, out of the Rapid City area in order... Um, to follow God um, where he's calling them there. And so we really take this opportunity to see this not just as a move, um, they're getting a new house in a new city, um, but as a time to send them off um, as part of the Common Ground family, as part of the Church of Christ, um, to send them on mission to Kansas City, um, to see God's will played out in and through them in this new setting where they're going to find the, themselves. And so we're really going to take this opportunity, not just to say goodbye to them, but also to send them out um, with our blessing and with our prayers um, as they move to Kansas City. And so as you guys share here, can you just tell us a bit of uh, where you're going and what you'll be doing there? Yeah. I'll be right so we will be moving to Kansas City, uh, the metropolitan area. We will be working in the Missouri side, living in the Kansas side. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got a job with Honeywell um, and uh, JC got a job with a company called Catalent. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll be moving down, hanging out with the likes of Josh Duglett, uh, Aaron <laughs> Vogel, um, yeah, some other uh, former members of Common Ground, um, if you remember them. Yeah, Kansas City keeps taking a lot of our good people. <laughs> but we're excited for you guys. Now, what are you most excited about for this next season of your life? Yeah, I think it's just kind of an exciting transition for us, different than at least for me, like, transitions that we've had before because a lot of times I've had, like, okay, I'm going to be doing something different now, but I know exactly how long I'll be doing that and then what the next thing will be. And that's kind of different than this one because now we're both graduated and ready to just, like, step into this next stage in our lives and our marriage. And so I think it's just really exciting to see what, mm. what God's going to do in that um, since we don't really have a set game plan or timeline or anything and so we want to have the attitude of we're going here because God's sending us and not mm -hmm. oh we've decided this for ourselves and we're going to go do our thing um, and so specifically one of the things that we're kind of excited for is just and been praying for is community down there we just want to be really intentional with um, our apartment that we have opening it up to people and making relationships with people in our mm -hmm. church and in our workplaces and just people that we meet around town believers and non-believers alike um, and so we're excited to see what happens with that yeah. really good. and like i mentioned you guys have been a very important and very valuable part of our family over the years 
JC, you've been on worship teams, and you've just been so good at building that community um, within this church. And Job has preached periodically and been on the worship team, playing the cajon. Um, But as you reflect on your time here at Common Ground, what would you say um, some of the highlights have been as you look back on what God did during this season? Yeah, um, as I reflect on uh, the Common Ground family. Um, that's the, the biggest highlight, is that this truly is a family. Um, if I were to put a, a Bible verse to it, I would say that common ground embodies Acts 2.42 perfectly. That as the, the early church was growing in number, um, Acts 2.42 says that they continued uh, to submit themselves to and be devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And how um, intimate uh, Common Ground does each of those things. That we are um, a very uh, integral and communal part of the teaching, of uh, studying God's Word. Whether that is on Sunday morning or or in various small groups. Um, Fellowship, um, yeah, having the the blessing of Dark Hall to uh, just have a space for people to come early and uh, just chat. To um, do life together. Um, To the breaking of bread, uh, the various... Uh, potlucks, but um, just other uh, functions that um, Common Ground does, but even just the individual members of Common Ground do. Uh, The number of hospitable uh, families that uh, welcome in uh, college students to uh, just have a meal and get off of campus um, and to prayer. Um, This time being the the best (laughs) example of that, that we specifically set a time uh, every single week uh, to come together in prayer. Um, I think is phenomenal. And, um, yeah, definitely uh, a huge uh, highlight uh, for both of us um, and a a huge commendation uh, to Common Ground. And a lot changed in your guys' lives over the last few years that you've been in here. I mean, one, you met one another and then got married. So that's a big one. Um, But as you reflect on your time, um, what are some of the significant things that you learned about God during this time? Or what did he do in your lives? Yeah, one of the big ones recently is just getting married, and that's been really cool just to see in a more full capacity the things that we already knew about Christ and his relationship to the church, but being able to experience that in a way that we hadn't before is just very, offers very cool insights to um, the type of relationship that we get to have with Jesus. Um, But outside of that, I think we've seen a lot of just God's provision in the past several years in um, like financial pr- provision, we've mm-hmm. just been blown away by how he's just <laughs> been so, so faithful to um, provide for us when we needed it. Um, circumstantial provision of providing us jobs and places to live when <laughs> things were really coming down to the wire. Um, not even just with this Kansas City thing, like years prior, <laughs> just seeing that be um, true of God's faithfulness to us in that um, Oh, yeah, just like emotional and spiritual provision and um, providence in that way of, like, um, times when it's just, like, in a very desperate, emotionally raw situation um, in my life and just feeling God's comfort and peace come upon me in a way that certainly could not be provided in any other um, worldly means of just, like, basically plopping a verse or a person or something in my lap that was just ministered to me exactly Mm -hmm. in the way that I needed it. So we've seen God be faithful in these ways in our lives and 
we have full confidence that he'll continue to do that. Oh, that's really good. That's beautiful, you guys. Well, I guess. Did you have something to add, or um, I was just going to pitch that last question at you? Oh. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, what JC said, um, yeah, very true. Um, both um, in the, the marriage relationship, being able to see in a much more uh, fuller and beautiful way um, Christ's relationship with the church. Um, and the the love and the uh, the commitment um, shown uh, through that relationship uh, really coming to life. Um, but then, yeah, for me in the past, um, yeah, few years, um, along with uh, getting married, is really recognizing that God is a God who wants to be known, and that He reveals Himself to yeah. us. That He is not a standoffish God um, who is. Uh, just has his hands off of the world, that he, he wound up the, the clock and let it loose, um, but he is intentional, he is active, um, and he desires to be known, and he is pursuing each and every one of us so that we can know him more fully, more deeply, and have a more intimate relationship with him. And, um, yeah, uh, seeing that through uh, the provision, um, through um, just our own uh, like intellectual understanding, um, but also just the, the familiar um, relational understanding um, that has grown exponentially over these last few years um, is amazing. Yeah, that's really good. Well, we could probably stand up here and say a bunch of things that we would want to say to you guys as you head out, but I just wanted to give you one last chance. If there's anything that you would want to say um, to Common Ground Church, the mic is yours here. Before we turn to prayer, um, ultimately, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for everything that you have done for both of us over the years. Um, keep doing it. Uh, keep growing. Um, yeah, keep uh, sprinting after Christ in mm. everything that you do. And uh, yeah, amazing stuff will happen. Mm. Amen to that. Well, Common Ground Church, as I said, um, we're sending these guys out um, as missionaries. Um, the work that they have begun here in Rapid City, um, is going to continue on. Um, the work that God is doing in and through them in Kansas City. And so as we pray, um, we're really going to pray for that. We're going to be sending them out on mission to Kansas City. Um, during this time, if you're comfortable, um, would you just extend a hand, um, just as a physical representation of the spiritual blessing um, that we're praying over these two. Um, so would you just join me in bowing our heads and extending a hand in prayer for these guys? So Father God, um, we just come before you um, with a posture of thankfulness, posture of gratitude um, in this bittersweet time. Um, we just recognize that, uh, that joy and grief run on parallel lines in our lives and that you work in both. Um, you work in both as we reflect on the time that we have been able to spend with Job and JC. Um, just the important members of this family that they have been um, in being people around whom community can be built. Um, people who welcome others into their lives, into their homes, um, who will sit across from us um, when we are wrestling with questions and doubts and life circumstances. And there are people who have been so faithful um, to love and to disciple us um, in those situations. And God, we just praise you for that. Um, as they move into this next season, um, we just pray that you will continue to just maximize the gifts that you have given them um, and that they would be used for your kingdom expansion in Kansas City. Um, God, as we have just seen their hearts for building community, as we have just seen their, their gift of faith um, that you've given them, um, as people who will pursue you, um, even when it doesn't always make sense, or even when it looks like it would be a difficult thing to do, I just pray that that would be a mark on their lives, um, that they would be a people who follow you, um, even when 
it doesn't make sense, God, that they would be a people just with big faith, God. Um, We just thank you uh, for how much they've contributed to this family. Um, Would you just continue to instill in our hearts and minds um, the lessons that you have spoken to us through these guys, Um, the the worship that they have led us in, um, the conversations that we've had. Uh, I just pray that so many of the aspects, the characteristics of them that you have blessed them with, would you just continue to make me more like that? Would you make all of us um, people who dig into your word, who sprint after you, um, and who welcome in others into relationships, just as your son did? And so, Father God, as they go to Kansas City, um, would your spirit just be on them in a new and a fresh way? Um, As they move, would you just protect their marriage and continue to grow them closer to one another as they get closer to you? Uh, Would you give them a church family um, that would wrap around them and that they would just be welcomed into with open arms? And God, would you just um, produce uh, just fruit through them um, that is unimaginable, that they don't even expect at this point, but that they would be a people who know that when they walk in step with you, um, that you produce that fruit. And so we just pray that over their lives as they move to Kansas City. Um, We just pray um, that you would continue to provide for them as they are a people who pour out so much Uh, Would you be pouring into them? And would you bring friends and a church around them who could pour into them as well? Um, That they would always be serving and working and praying and loving others from a place of overflow. And so Jesus, uh, we commission these guys as missionaries. Um, We recognize the call that you've placed on their lives. We recognize your spirit at work in and through them. And I just pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit um, that you would be with them all the days of their lives and that you'd be working in and through them in ways that we can't even imagine. And so, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. You. And it's, again, uh, yeah, it's bittersweet. But we're really proud of you, proud of all that you've done. And, man, I'm just praying for more people like you in my life. I really am. You've been dear friends, and you've been a really important part of our lives. So thanks again. And thank you, church. Um, could you just... Um, Give a hand for these guys as they head off there. So question. Uh, I want to ask you guys. What do you think God wants from you? What do you think God wants from you? And feel free to shout out some answers. Um, Feel free to shout out what you think. What do you think God wants from you? And what do you think would please God? Anything? Are you giggling? Do you have a do you have a smart answer here, Heather? He wants my money. Money. <laughs> God wants your money. If I preach that message, we probably wouldn't be renting a building, would we? <laughs> okay, I'm looking for something a little different than that. <laughs> Eileen? To say yes. God's looking for you to say yes. That's a good answer. Good answer. Yeah, Jenny? To glorify him. Yep. Okay. Heather, do you have a real answer this time? You have more jokes? Uh, relationship. relationship. God wants relationship. Yeah. That's pretty good. We're on track. Nick? He wants to, trust him. to trust him. Okay. I think we're pretty much on track with all of those because the answer that I'm going to give you is what I think God wants from us is faith. God wants from us faith. Hebrews chapter eleven six says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so I think 
above all else, in order to please God, what God wants from us, <laughs> sometimes can be our money, sometimes can be us saying yes to him and trusting him, when it is an expression of faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 now, um, and we've moved our way through the book of Hebrews for quite a few weeks now. We have gone through chapters 1 through 10, which do a lot of the heavy theological lifting. Uh, and now we reach chapter 11 and a new section in this book where the preacher here is going to turn to a more practical, I guess, theme here. Um, this is basically like the application section at the end of the sermon. Um, he's explained all that Jesus did, who Jesus is, and now he's going to give us some practical applications for how do we live in light of all this. If that is who Jesus is, if that is what Jesus has done, how do we live? What changes? And the application that the preacher gives to the people here, to us, in chapter 11, is this. Have faith. Have faith is what his goal is here. And if you remember the context of the book of Hebrews, um, it was sent as a sermon um, to a people in the first century who were struggling with their faith. Um, they had gone through some significant struggles um, they were questioning whether or not they wanted to continue being Christians. In the last chapter, we saw that they were people who were publicly insulted and persecuted. Some were sent to prison, and some had their properties confiscated. And so this pastor here is, is sending them a message um, with a pastoral goal in mind. And it's not just to teach them like a lot of good facts about Jesus or a lot of good facts about the Old Testament. His goal is for them to continue in faith that they would be a people who would pursue Jesus until the day that they die, that they would be people with faith in God. And that's his main goal here. He is hoping that they would understand Hebrews 11.6 and that they would be a people of faith. Because as he's going to explain, this is, this is what God is looking for. This is what pleases God. And now I know that all of us, we have these characteristics or we have these traits that we probably prefer in others, or that we really like. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a football coach that, above all else, the one characteristic, the one trait that he loved more than anything else was hustle. And he just preached, hustle, 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 until the whistle's blown, until the play is over, you're always hustling. And I'll always remember, uh, there was one time in practice when I jumped off sides, I went before I was supposed to go, but in the process, I knocked the guy over who was right in front of me, which, obviously, he wasn't ready for me to come at him. And that was something that would usually get you yelled at, but instead, my coach like, commended me in front of everyone and used me as a good example of hustle. And he said that he didn't care as much about the mistake because at least I hustled. <laughs> and the guy that knocked down was really upset. Like, wait, what? No, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> or then when I first started working at Costco, I'm in college, uh, everybody that gets hired on at Costco, you start with a 90-day probationary period. Um, so you, they hire on like 12, 15 people, and they tell you that they're only going to keep like three or four of you. And the one thing that they're looking for is reliability and dependability. And I remember when I entered into those 90 days, I had a friend who already worked there, and he told me that you better not call in sick or show up late or ask for vacation during these 90 days, or you will not have a 91st day. Like you have to show for 90 days that you are reliable, dependable, and you're going to be there. Costco really values dependability, reliability, and for you to spend your whole life there. <laughs> and we all have these traits and these characteristics that we're looking for, that we want. You know, we want to be like this 
and we have all these goals in mind. I want to be a person who hustles. I want to be a person who is dependable, reliable, or I want the people in my life to do these things. And with God, what we see here, the thing that pleases him the most, above all else, is faith. And what it says in verse 6 there is that it's impossible to please God with any characteristics except faith, that God desires a person of faith. And so, if it's impossible to please God without faith, we should probably know what that is, right? Do we feel like we have a good grasp, understanding of it? Like you could just give a quick definition on faith? Maybe. Because I think oftentimes we're kind of confused about what faith is, and it really is kind of a hard thing to describe. And we're even going to see, while we're going to get a definition, and we're going to get a great picture of what faith is in this chapter, um, it really is something that I think even Christians are confused about. Um, But it's something that, for the most part, the world is very confused about. And faith is one of those things that typically leads um, people who don't believe in Jesus to look at Christians a little funny. This is the thing that makes us look a little weird. So here are just some quotes about what faith is um, from some some pretty influential people that I have um, hidden the identities to protect the innocent here. Um, But these are some not-so-good definitions of faith that I think um, people tend to latch onto. The first one, that faith is believing what you know ain't so. That's a good one. It's catchy and it rhymes, so it must be true. Um, but faith is the illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. Illogical belief. Faith is the boast of a man who is too lazy to investigate. So you must have faith just because you don't actually ask questions, right? Um, faith is the belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. Um, it's just belief that doesn't make any sense. And I think sometimes Christians can even un- like misunderstand what faith is. Um, we often think it's just like wishful thinking, or faith means just being really positive about everything. That there's always just going to be a positive outcome. You just have to have positive thinking, and that's what faith is. And I don't think that that's actually what faith is. I, I think faith, as we're going to see here, it's this anchored, committed confidence to what is actually truly real. Um, it's Faith that believes in who God is and what God does and then acts in light of all that. And so we get a definition here of what faith is in chapter 11 in verse 1. He starts off strong in verse 1. He says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then he gives a few examples. We can skip down to verse 6, what we read already. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So this, this is how the author here is defining faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's being sure. It's this confidence of things hoped for. It is by faith that we understand the universe was formed at God's command. God spoke, and it was. And so what is seen was not made out of what is visible, that God is working behind the scenes in ways that we cannot see, and we believe that. And what we see from this picture of faith um, in the chapter one of the things you'll notice is he's just going to go into a huge list. 
examples of what faith is. He's like, this is your definition. Let me show you what that means. Um, But one of the main things that we're going to focus on today, um, and the big picture that I think he shows us of what faith is, is that faith, it is this internal belief. It is um, this belief in God internally. But it's also an action, right? That faith is this internal conviction about who God is that leads us to an external action. That faith is holistic belief plus action. And we're going to see that in this chapter. Because like I mentioned, um, this chapter has a lot of examples. It's often called the Hall of Faith or the Cloud of Witnesses um, because it's a tour through the entire story of the Bible, basically. Um, And he's looking at people who lived lives of faith. All these good examples. Um, People who embodied faith. And if you know anything about the stories that are shared in Hebrews chapter 11, if you're looking for a good character study, go through there and then look up, like, who is Enoch? Um, Who is this guy here? Um, Because he's just going to tell you, like, oh, you remember when he did this, when he did that? And we'd probably all just nod our heads and be like, yeah, of course. Um, But if you know many of these stories, um, this is hardly a list of people that have characteristics or traits that we would necessarily think are valuable or desirable for us. Um, When we look at these stories, it's not necessarily a list of reliable people or maybe people who hustled um, very often. Um, And the reason is that the author of Hebrews is focusing on that one thing, and that is their faith. He's not trying to show how great, how moral they were, um, how dependable, how reliable they were. The Bible is very transparent about their mistakes, about their sins, and these are the heroes of faith because it's focusing all on their faith. And above all else, that's what God is looking for, is faith. And that's what he's showing here. And he's showing here that these are people who believed in God, and then they believed God, and they went out, and they acted on it. And so looking at um, the reality of faith as an internal belief, in those three little definitions that we got, here's where we see this as this internal conviction, this thing in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. It's confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance about what we don't see. Okay, that's all internal speak there. And it's by faith that we understand. Understand. It's in our mind. It's in our understanding. And anyone who comes to him, which there is the action there that we're going to get to, um, must believe that he exists. And so this belief is this internal conviction here. And some of the examples he gives are these. In verse 7, He talks about how when Noah was warned, Noah was warned about this flood, and he had a holy fear. Inside of himself, he was worried, he was scared. It was this internal feeling of knowing that what God says is probably going to happen. And he had this holy fear. Then it says that Sarah considered him faithful who had made the promise. She considered him faithful. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. So here, Abraham, he's using his mind. He's reasoning that God could make a way here. And that example, I think, of Sarah is pretty good um, because oftentimes we focus very much on, and most of this chapter is focused on the acts of faith and what faith looks like played out. But Sarah's act of faith, right here in verse 11, wasn't actually really an action. It was in her heart and in her mind. She considered God faithful that he would do what he promised to do. And as you look through the examples, a bunch of other people are going to, you know, go into battles. They're going to close the mouths of lions. 
Um, and Sarah acted on her faith by thinking, by considering God faithful, by trusting God. And one of the things I think this really shows is that faith is not just believing when there is no reason. You know, we don't just ask you to, like, check your brains at the door before you walk in here. Um, especially through these examples here, like Sarah, um, Sarah's act of faith was exercising her mind, and Sarah's faith came from considering who God was. And based on the promises that God had fulfilled in their lives in the past, the evidence she had seen, she was convinced that God could be trusted in the future. She was kind of putting these pieces together that God could be trusted. And even though what he promised was kind of wild, um, she knew that what she hoped for, even though she couldn't see it, that this is the God who makes the visible out of the invisible. This is the God who can bring that out. And her husband Abraham, uh, he was kind of the same way, right? He was a bit of a thinker. It says that he reasoned there. The ESV says he considered it says that he knew, and it really kind of describes in this situation, what Abraham was thinking internally. Um, and he knew that if he sacrificed Isaac, you know, somehow God would just work the situation out. Um, God would somehow make it work. And so he thought about this. He reasoned. He wasn't just going about it blindly. Um, he was thinking that my faith and my action here can come from a place of knowing that even if I sacrifice Isaac, you know, God will probably, like, raise him from the dead or something. God will probably act. This might not make sense to me, but the more I think about it, the more opportunities I see for God to work. And he reasoned that God could work this situation out. And our faith is similar, I think, or at least it should be. Um, when we look at the picture of Jesus, when we look at the evidence of his resurrection, when we look at the experiences that we've had and that others have had, we can reason to say, okay, it looks like Jesus must actually be alive and he must actually be who he said he is. And this is something that I think maybe we don't always think about when it comes to faith. Oftentimes we think about like the blind following, no opportunity to use our brain at all, but Abraham and Sarah are kind of showing the opposite here. And maybe you don't stress about this sort of thing. I kind of do sometimes. <laughs> when we have these questions, when we have these struggles to believe, like, ah, this might not make sense in my mind. And God is inviting us to continue to seek out those answers. He's not inviting us to just eh, forget about it, just have faith. But that faith is actually beginning with this reasoning, with this considering, with this thinking about who God is. And I know it can be one of the things that is very unhelpful when maybe you do struggle with some of these questions or some of these things that you're, you're looking for answers for about who God is or what God's done or something in the Bible that doesn't quite make sense and you go to another Christian with it and then you hear like, well, man, maybe you should just chill out with all these questions. Like, just believe, just have faith. And I think we know if you've ever received that answer, that's like one of the least helpful answers you could ever get of just have faith, just believe. But honestly, that's not what God is looking for here. Um, I don't just believe in Jesus because we can muster up the right mindset and just say like, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe enough times to just like produce that in us. I don't think it comes from just sheer willpower. I think it comes, just like Abraham and Sarah show us, from thinking about who God is, from just looking at him and actually considering what could he do, what might he do, what evidence, what evidence do I have for him doing what he says he could do. And our internal belief gets to be based on that reality. It gets to be based on what is true and believable here. 
And you know, when the early Christians, when they first told people about Jesus, um, they didn't walk around and just say, uh, you need to just believe, you need to just have faith. Um, it was actually built on a series of facts. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul repeats what was most likely a creed that was repeated um, by the early Christians a lot. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this in verse 3. He says, For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. He's saying, just like the Bible said he would. Like, that's good reason to believe. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. And so he's saying, hey, you can go talk to them. Like, you can go verify this. You can go ask these people. There's 500 of them. Take your pick. If they did see Jesus alive. And he says, okay, some of them have fallen asleep. Some of them have passed away. But most of them are still alive. Go talk to them. And then he appeared to James, who was Jesus' brother, by the way. And I think that's pretty significant that his brother believed in him. And then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. And Paul says that you don't just have to have this blind belief in a fairy tale. You don't just have to muster up the strength within yourself to say, yeah, I believe, I believe, have faith, have faith. You can actually seek out evidence for this. And it's actually based on these events that took place, these events that happened. Jesus lived, and then he died, and then he came back from the dead, and we all saw him. So look into this. You can ask people about it. And he goes on to remind them why it's so important for faith to be built on this reality. He says in verse 14 of that same chapter, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. <laughs> so Paul is saying, irrational faith, useless. He goes on in verse 30 to say, And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast to you, I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul's getting a little sarcastic there, but he's basically saying, like, I would not put myself on the line like this. I would not put myself in danger like this if this were not true. And if I did, if I had nothing to go on, that would actually just be foolish, Paul is saying here. He said, if Jesus is not alive, if we didn't have this evidence, hey, we might as well just go on hanging out and enjoying life. But he says that we do actually have all this reason to believe. He started with that. He says we do have these reasons to believe, even though we cannot see it. And this is why we believe in him. And I think this is just a good reminder for us, um, especially if we're people who struggle with doubts and with questions about who Jesus is or if all this fits together in our minds. Because what's very clear is that we can bring these questions to God. We can bring our questions to the Holy Spirit. And he's okay with that, right? We can seek these answers. The thing is, we just can't let these questions or these doubts hold us back. Um, we have to do the work. We have to actually lean into it. We have to be honest about these questions enough to seek the answers. And I think when we do that, we don't have to be troubled by these doubts or these questions that we have. I know a lot of us will feel that way. If something doesn't necessarily make sense in our faith that we see makes sense for other Christians, it just throws us all off and we think, well, what's wrong with me? Am I slipping in my faith? Am I losing my faith? But I think these doubts and these questions are a pretty good sign of faith. It's a pretty good sign that you care about this enough to think about it 
that you care about what is true about Jesus, that you know that Paul is saying that irrational faith is useless, but this is true, and there's that truth out there that I just need to find. But we just can't let those questions or those doubts hold us back. We still follow him. We still seek and pursue those answers. And in the example that we heard earlier of Sarah, Sarah actually did doubt God's promise. Sarah actually did question it. Uh, When uh, God told her that she would have children, she was in her 80s. Um, And do you know what her response was? What's that, Kevin? She laughed. She laughed in God's face. When God told her, you're going to have children, she laughed in God's face. And she, later on, would have a kid at age 90. And do you know what she named him? Isaac. She named him Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter. It means laughter. So she doubted. She questioned. But it didn't hold her back. It didn't hold her back from pursuing God. And actually, it was those doubts, it was those questions, it was that time when she laughed in God's face that I think made her story and made her faith that much more sweet, that much more beautiful. And I know that many of us, um, we get stuck um, before making um, a commitment of faith or before following God into something, we get stuck not having enough information to go on, and we just perpetually are trying to gather information. We're just perpetually trying to seek more evidence that God will do this, that this is the right decision. Um, But one of the things that I think we have to understand is even though this understanding and even though this internal conviction is important, I don't think we have to have it all together in our minds um, in order to have faith. And I don't think that before we believe or have this internal conviction that everything has to perfectly make sense. Um, If you ever do any research on the topic of faith in general, um, you'll probably come across writings by Augustine. Augustine was a North African theologian and and priest in the 4th century. He wrote a lot about the nature of faith, and anyone who writes about it now pretty much just rewords what he already wrote way back in the 4th century. Um, But Augustine asked this question. He says, do I believe in order to understand, or do I understand in order to believe? He basically says, like, what comes first, belief or understanding? Do I need to grasp everything in order to have this internal conviction? Does everything have to make sense? And he answers it this way. He actually says that understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but seek to believe that you may understand. That actually faith comes before full understanding. That actually you can have this internal conviction and this faith in God even before everything clicks for you, and even before everything makes total sense. And he's actually saying that for the most part, a lot of us, just need to change like our bias or our assumption when it comes to believing in God. He's basically saying that if you are operating from the assumption that there is no God, then there's no amount of understanding or evidence that's going to really change that until you decide to change your bias and change your assumption. But if you take that step, step make that decision to believe in God, and it's actually then that the understanding comes. Um, but if you're waiting because you're trying to gather this information um, for whether or not to believe in God or whether or not to believe God in this circumstance in your life, you might end up gathering information forever. Um, We actually have to change our bias to begin with a position of faith, to begin with, I'm going to trust you, God, in this. And then the understanding comes. Then, as we invite God and as we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and as we walk in step with him, 
the understanding does come. It doesn't come right away. And some things might never grasp. But as we follow him, he's the one who speaks and teaches and guides us. And that understanding will come over time. So faith is this internal conviction. It's this internal conviction that really begins in our minds, begins in our hearts. It's involved with asking questions. But it doesn't actually end there. Because faith is this internal conviction, but that leads to action. That's really what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. And we know, as James, Jesus' brother, wrote in James chapter 2, he says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. <laughs> and so he's pointing out that even the demons have internal belief. Even the demons have come to that place. Um, this is kind of a shocking realization that, yeah, the demons probably have like better theology than me for the most part. Um, but that's not necessarily faith, right? Question, do you think the demons please God? It's not a trick question. It's no, okay, <laughs> right? Safe answer, no. Um, Because faith is more than just believing this. Faith is more than just believing the right stuff. Now, obviously, you can't get to faith without believing the right stuff, but faith is more than that. Faith actually flows out of that. It's actually, it, it moves, it's based from internal belief that leads us to draw near to him, that leads us to believe him. And so we believe in the invisible God, and then we earnestly seek him. We take hold of the invisible reality that he's told us. And so when it comes um, to this question and considering faith, when we look at the text here, we see that the context is not like hanging out with Augustine in a library, pondering and thinking about faith. Um, It's the context here of people of faith are not just people who sat there and thought about it real hard, and that's a great example of people who live lives of faith. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, he's giving all the examples of people who acted on it, who followed God, who expressed their faith through action and through their life. And so he's really showing that faith is not just this inner disposition or this thought. It doesn't end there. That faith is moving to obedience and action. And so... These examples that he gives in this chapter is a whole list of names of people who acted on their faith. They lived out their faith. And I'm just going to read a few of the examples here for you. And I just want you to really just focus on the verbs that are here. The verbs recorded of people who took steps of faith, people who acted on their faith. This internal disposition moved them towards actions. And again, this chapter is just a huge list. It says that by faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch walked. Noah built. Abraham went. By faith, Abraham had son had like a ton of kids, um, and Sarah was involved in that as well. And by faith, Abraham offered. And by faith, Isaac promised. Jacob blessed. Joseph spoke. By faith, Moses' parents hid. If you know much about Moses' parents. By faith, Moses refused, chose, left, and commanded. He did a lot. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. They marched around Jericho. By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the spies. Not everything she did was through faith, but that thing that she did was through faith. And by faith, they overthrew, ruled, received. By faith, they shut the mouths of lions. They escaped death. They were tortured, jeered at, whipped. By faith, they were stoned, sawed in half, and killed. And these are the examples that he gives us here. 
This is what faith looks like. You want an example? The author of Hebrews says, I'll give you like 30. <laughs> and these, these are all stories of people who had this internal disposition. It uh, didn't always make sense. People like Sarah questioned it, laughed at God, but they did it anyway. They followed through. What was invisible to them, this outcome, the situation working out, didn't hold them back. They still acted on their faith, and eventually they saw God's promises fulfilled. They saw God show up. They saw God do what he promised he would do. They saw God make this invisible reality actually visible, tangible reality. And this is the call that we have as well, that the call of our lives is to live into essentially an invisible reality, right? That we have this hope that we profess, as the start of the chapter says. And we have this hope that one day God will make everything new, that the kingdom of God will be here. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here now, and so we're actually supposed to live into that, even though we still live on this earth where it's not here in full. And we're actually called to live into this invisible reality, right? The kingdom of God is here, so we're supposed to live like that, but it doesn't always make sense. And if you understand what Jesus has instructed us to do, you understand that it requires a lot of faith um, because oftentimes the instructions that he's given us, um, the things that he might speak to us, they don't always make sense and they don't always look like they're going to work out the way that we might picture them working out. Um, one of the ways that's been kind of helpful for me to picture this is when you think about putting a nut on a bolt, how do you tighten it? It's righty-tighty, and then if you're going to loosen it, it's lefty-loosey, right? And for the most part, that's how things work. But you guys that are handier than I am, you could probably think of some exceptions, right? That there are reverse threads, right, Jake? There are some exceptions to that rule. If you've ever had to fix a bike, it's like nothing on a bike is righty-tighty. And I learned that way late after I stripped everything on there, trying to screw that on there. Um, but essentially, these like reverse threads, these things that don't really make sense, these things that aren't the way that we're used to, is often what God calls us to or is just the testament of Scripture for us in our lives. We know that we're given the command to love our enemies. That's like lefty-tighty for the world, right? Like, love your enemies, but then why are they still called your enemies? That doesn't really make sense. Or if we think about forgiveness, um, like, why would you release someone from your debt who has hurt you and done wrong? Like, why would we do that? And we do that because we recognize that there is a kingdom that we are called to live in where all relationships have been stored, all wrongs have been made right, all debt has been forgiven, and we're called to live into it. We're called to live into God's kingdom now. Jesus once said that you could gain the whole world but lose your soul. And it's like, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. You gain the whole world. That's great. I have like the tiniest little portion of the world at this moment. But nonetheless, that's another one of those like reverse threads for us. Or what about the Beatitudes? If you've ever read the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount, it's actually whenever we finish the book of Hebrews one day in a few years, um, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you go through the Beatitudes, what you see are a lot of those calls of God that don't really make sense. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. 
right? It's like, no, I thought things were supposed to go the other way around. You're supposed to, like, blessed is when your life's good. And he's like, nope, actually, blessed are you when you're persecuted. But this is like this invisible hope that we have. This is a reality that isn't front and center for us, but that we're called to live into. Through faith, we act on it. And when we listen to God's voice, um, when we obey what he said, when we believe what he said, that's faith. That's faith. And really, this changes everything in our lives. Um, this changes the way that we see the entire world when we live as if the kingdom of heaven has already arrived here and now. And that's actually um, what he's talking about in verse 3 he, when he talks about this invisible reality because it's like, well, how do we grasp that? How do we act on what like we cannot see? And he's basically referring back to the creation story in verse 3. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And he's explaining through the creation story how we grasp this. And if you remember the creation story, and he kind of told us how it worked here, how did God create everything? What is that? (laughs) Through speaking. Through speaking. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be, and there was. That God spoke creation into existence. God spoke, and the universe existed. Do you know what the word universe means? Universe, one verse, one phrase. God said, let there be, and everything existed. That everything was spoken into existence by God. That the invisible became visible. And we're a people who believe that God still speaks. And so how do we grasp this invisible reality? We listen to God. We listen to him and we live according to that. We listen to his word and the scripture for us. We listen to things like the beatitude that tell us to live in these weird reverse thread ways. And we listen to the book of Hebrews that is really confusing for us, but yet we can see his instructions for our lives and we can see him forming the picture of Jesus in us. And We listen to those still small voices that we hear from God, those little nudges um, to have that conversation with that person, um, to go to that place, to not go to that place, to stop this destructive habit. That nagging sense in us when the Holy Spirit is pushing us to do something that we know God is calling us to. The way that we grasp that invisible reality and live as people of faith is by listening to the voice of God and trusting that just as he spoke and everything we see here was created, that everything here is as real as God speaking to us and the reality of when we act in faith. And we trust his voice. And what the original audience um, needed to hear was this very clearly. Um, Because if you remember, they were people who had just come out of Judaism and they were really struggling with the fact that there was no more temple, no more sacrifices, there was no more high priest. Um, Now they have the Holy Spirit who's invisible. They have this way of living um, that you like don't get graded on quite the same way. They don't have a temple to make sure that they're good and right standing with God. And they're to trust and to hold on to just the voice of God. They're just sticking with Jesus and holding on to him through faith. And I would say that as we consider what this means for us, I would encourage you to reflect on your life, to reflect on Where has God spoken to you in one of those ways where you felt this 
internal conviction, to believe something about him, to act according to this invisible reality. And how is it that he's called you to do that? How is it that maybe in the past um, we haven't taken those steps? I have a million different examples when I feel like I've heard God calling me to something um, and I didn't take that step of faith. And I would encourage you, examine your life and does it reflect the kind of faithful obedience that people like Abraham and Sarah had? All these different examples. The kind of faith that recognizes that God keeps his promises. And just as Emily reminded us um, this morning, um, today is Palm Sunday. It's a week before Easter. And this is the day that we celebrate Jesus' dramatic entrance into Jerusalem. He rode in on a donkey and declared himself as king. Declared himself as king of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here now. And John chapter 12 records that story of the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday. And it says this in John 12, 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And at first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So notice in this moment, the disciples didn't even understand everything that was happening. It didn't all make sense in their minds. They were watching Jesus riding on a donkey. They knew that it was significant, but they were kind of questioning this. They didn't get it all. But did that stop them from faith? No, they continued to follow him. They continued to walk with Jesus, and eventually that understanding was given. Eventually it was opened up to them. Eventually some of the things Jesus had to just point blank explain, like, hey, this is why I did this. But at the time, they didn't understand everything, but they still moved towards Jesus in faith. And they weren't the only ones. Um, It continues in verse 17. And now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. It's pretty easy to believe when you've seen Jesus raise Lazarus. Um, And many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. Okay, so tons of people saw what Jesus had done, and they had enough information to believe in him and to go and to pursue him, to draw near him in faith. But not everyone did, right? Like God is is calling all of us to draw near to him, to approach him. And we have these doubts and we have these questions, and sometimes it can hold us back. But I think we follow the example of the disciples to not be held back, to approach him. But there were some people who didn't just doubt, but they just didn't believe. Um, They were not going to draw near to Jesus. And the Palm Sunday narrative is actually riddled with this. It has this all over. Um, At the very end of the chapter in verse 42, um, it gives an example of unbelief. These aren't just people with questions. These aren't just people with doubt. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And they were wanting to believe. They had enough evidence. They could see him, and they were seeing, hey, this guy is fulfilling all these prophecies. That's kind of weird. Maybe we should pay attention to that. But they didn't move to that place of following him. Because the really inconvenient thing about faith 
is that it actually changes your life and it actually will move you to action here. The religious leaders, they wouldn't admit what they believed here. They were worried that they might lose their jobs. Um, They were going to be completely thrown out of society if they were to do that, and they were afraid of that. It wasn't worth it for them because that's all that they could see at the time. They couldn't see that invisible reality of the kingdom of heaven being there. They couldn't see how God might work the situation out. If they had thought like Abraham, who was like, you know what, even if I sacrifice Isaac, God will work it out somehow. They didn't see that. They didn't consider what he could have done. Instead, they just looked at that pain right in front of them, and they were held back by that. And so, they love the praise of humans more than the praise from God. We are called to be a people of faith. And as we read in the beginning of this chapter, that God is pleased with faith, that he rewards those who draw near to him in faith. And so as we consider this whole thing, again, I would just ask you the question of, of how is God calling you to step out in faith? What is a, a nudge from the Spirit inside of you, that nagging sense of something that you know God is calling you to do? For some of us, it might just be believing in Jesus for the first time. Uh, maybe you haven't made that commitment of faith to believe in him. And for some of us, um, it might be something very different. It might be a circumstance that you're in when you just are having a hard time trusting God. It might be um, a conversation with someone that you're having this nagging sense to have. It might be a job that God is instructing you to quit or to take or a business to start or a ministry to start or a ministry to be more involved in. I know that God is speaking. And I know that God is a God who can be trusted. And so I would just pose that question. How is God calling you to move from that inner conviction, you know who God is, to actually make that step of faith, to listen to the voice of God and to trust that because of who he is and what he's done, that you can live according to that. And on the surface, it might have some very obvious like negative side effects, right? The visible might not look great, but to trust in what you cannot see, what he might be able to do anyway. And when we do that, when we have faith, we please God. We please God. In the end of Hebrews chapter 11, the very end, it says this. He gives all those examples about the people who followed God in faith. And he says that these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. And so the life of faith is a life that recognizes the eternal reward of pleasing God, of living with him forever, of living according to that invisible reality we cannot yet see. It's worth so much more than the praise of man or than whatever we could see in front of us. And so, on this Palm Sunday, you really do have Jesus just riding right by you. And we have the opportunity to turn to him in faith, to praise Hosanna, to act on it, as, as Emily reminded us, people throwing their coats, people waving palm branches. We have this invitation to act on it. Um, don't miss it. Don't miss the Messiah. Even if we have those questions, even if we have those doubts, even if we can see the pain right in front of us, um, be a people who follow anyway. Be a people who trust in the God that can make the invisible visible. Because he's, he's calling you to follow him. So now, As we turn back in worship, let's just turn and worship our God.
So would you bow your heads and pray with me? So Father God, we just thank you for being a God who's patient with us. We thank you for being a God um, who has given us so many reasons to believe. As Job reminded us, you are a God who, who just reveals yourself to us and approaches us. You are active in our lives. And God, as, as we continue to follow you, would you just continue to give us understanding? Um, so many of us in this room um, are struggling with questions, with doubts, um, with things that don't seem to fit together. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit as teacher um, would cause those things to click. Um, would you just help us with that? But in the meantime, God, we just recognize that we don't want to be held back by those questions, by those doubts either. And we want to be a people who follow you, even when it doesn't always make sense, even when we don't have understanding. And when we just see the, the examples of the disciples um, on Palm Sunday, that even though they didn't understand all this, they still glorified you. They still followed you. They still said yes to you. And God, would you just empower us to do the same? Do you empower us to be people of faith who follow you, no matter what comes? So Jesus, um, we just turn to you and praise during this moment. Just cry out, Hosanna. Great are you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.